Amen. Good morning, church family. Thank you, Pam. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we're gathered here. We're thankful uh, to be back uh, under one roof uh, together. Um, Lord, we are uh, thankful for your mercy and grace, your kindness to us. God, we thank you that locally we can celebrate as a church family the arrival of beautiful little Isabel Buchanan and uh, commit together with Kenneth and Livia to, uh, to raise this precious little life. Lord, thank you for, uh, God, the opportunity to uh, be part of a local church family. We thank you for what you are doing uh, locally, Lord. God, as we think uh, globally, God, hearts remain heavy um, for the people of Ukraine, for our world leaders. God, south of the border, as we think about uh, the, these, the utter evil of what took place in Uvalde, Texas, God, just the, the sheer, raw, heinous evil, uh, Lord, we, we look to you as the source of all good. We look to you for peace in the midst of, of confusion. We look for you for hope in the midst of, of misery, Lord. Even, even so far removed, to hear a story like that affects us so uh, profoundly. God, we pray for the believers in that community uh, that they would shine as lights of hope and of peace. And God, I pray that you'd be with us now as we open up your word, that you would lead us and guide us in your truth. God, I pray in Jesus' name that I would very quickly fade into the background and that you would be front and center. That even though it may be me that's reading the words of scripture and explaining it, that but people would hear your voice speaking, not merely to minds, but to hearts. Not merely for information, but for transformation. So we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's so nice to see you face to face. Uh, man, when I, Saturday night, when I sat down in front of my iPhone, I'm like, here we go again. Like, really, Lord? And uh, very thankful. I think it was late Thursday night when uh, Gavin was walking around with a rep from Hydro um, to get all the lights uh, back on here. And so we're really, really thankful for uh, the opportunity to, uh, to gather here together. Our title for today's message is Resurrection Bodies. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 49, which uh, Pam has already read for us. And as I mentioned last week, uh, Christian theology is like a wall, uh, not like a trampoline. About 20 years ago, it was really trendy to talk about theology like a trampoline. You can remove one spring and still jump on it. And, and the reason why no one uses that analogy anymore is because the trampoline analogy people just kept removing springs, and now they just have a circular mat, and there's no trampoline, and no one's jumping. And when you're in a storm, you're not, you don't want to jump on a trampoline in a storm. Um, you, you want something solid to, to protect you. And uh, good Christian theology is, is like a wall, brick by brick, each very, very important to the overall structure. Now, I got to admit that when I was a teenager and really began seeking the Lord, and even as a young adult, the doctrine of physical resurrection of our bodies 
really didn't matter to me that much. I believed that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And, uh, you know, I had, I'd seen cartoons, which is where we get a lot of our theology from. That, like, you know, when someone dies, a little ghost sort of floats up playing a harp. And I thought, well, maybe just our spirits will go to be with God. I hadn't really thought about the reality of the, the resurrection. And I think part of that was because I was just young and fit and energetic and I am no longer any of those things. And I am old and tired. And I hurt in too many places to count. And uh, if you're looking for uh, evidence of this at, this, at the uh, Cassie Campbell Rec Center at 915 Arena A, I will be on the ice and there will be real live examples of the deterioration of my physical body. My mind will think of things that I used to do on the ice and my body will say, it's not happening. It's not happening. But God's plan of redemption was not just to save our souls, but was to save our bodies as well. God's plan was not just to have our souls escape up there in heaven, but to, to literally bring heaven down to earth. In the book of Revelation, the, city of, the new city of Jerusalem comes down from heaven glistening in this translucent gold. God wants to remake us. He wants to remake our bodies because he plans to remake the whole world. Now, like churches today, the, the church at Corinth was unfortunately very influenced by the world. Just like today, how we can take certain slogans or certain patterns of thinking. We sometimes do it on purpose to try to be quote-unquote relevant. We sometimes do it accidentally just because we're breathing in the polluted air of the world around us. And, and the church starts to sound a lot like the philosophy or the social imaginary of the world around us. And in, in Corinth... They were very influenced by Greco-Roman philosophy. Corinth was a happening city. They had a commerce there and entertainment there and religion there and athletics there and academia there. There was, there was this huge influence of Greco-Roman philosophy. And in Greco-Roman philosophy, they sort of had that cartoonish idea of, of death. That our bodies are just dispensable. They're just flesh suits for our souls that we were temporarily, they literally use this language, we're temporarily imprisoned by our bodies and in death we will be set free. And in, if we're enlightened here on earth, we'll be somehow set free. This is why Paul had to clarify things in Corinth that he really shouldn't be clarifying. Things like, hey men, don't go sleep with prostitutes. Like, that shouldn't be something that he should have to address in a Christian church. But because they had separated the soul from the body, the idea was, I can do whatever I want with my body. But Paul keeps reminding them, no, 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 your body is also going to be saved just like your soul has been saved. And so how you treat your body and what you do with your body matters. Now, Paul had talk, talked in chapter 15 about the gospel, how Christ suffered and died according to the scriptures, and then he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. 
But then in uh, chapter 15, verse 12, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? There were some people in the church saying, we can remove that spring from the trampoline. We can take that brick out of the wall. We can still believe in Jesus, even though we don't believe in the resurrection. And Paul says, no, they're all interconnected. And now in our our text today, Paul is going to address a a couple of questions. Look with me at verse 35. There's two questions. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? With what kind of body do they come? Now, Paul, if if you're familiar with reading the letters written by Paul, he was really good at anticipating questions. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. He, he loves to anticipate questions, and he normally responds to them very gently. But look at, what he, look at how he responds in verse 36. You foolish person. You know, we were told there's no such thing as a stupid question. Paul says, no, that's actually a stupid question. Why does he say that they're foolish? Well, here's why. Remember, the, ch- the church at Corinth, they thought they were wise. Remember, the theme of wisdom keeps coming up. They thought they weren't foolish, They thought they were wise. They thought that believing in a physical resurrection was foolish. And they were the wise ones. And Paul says, no, no, you're not asking that question. It's not a legitimate, genuine question. You don't want to know the answer. You think that question is unanswerable. You think that you've stumped me. You think that I, can't, that I can't come up with an answer. That's what Paul is saying. And he says, you think you're so wise, but the truth is... You guys are foolish because Paul says the answer to your question, like he says the answer is the breakfast you ate this morning. He says it's it's so right in front of you that that it's, it's as real as the bagel or the toast that you ate for breakfast. Look what he says. He says, you foolish person. He says, aren't you, aren't you paying attention to the world around you? He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Paul says, listen, you're being foolish. Don't you know, like the grains that you ate for breakfast this morning, there's, there's a clue in agriculture. There's a clue in the world around us. You see, we believe in the resurrection Uh, and and Paul is going to outline this, we believe in it because of special revelation and general revelation. Special revelation is the book you're holding in your hands right now. The Bible is what theologians call special revelation. God speaking through the prophets, God speaking through his son. So remember, Paul said earlier in chapter 15, Christ was raised according to the scriptures. That's special revelation. That's statements from Jesus, like John 6.40. Which Jesus said, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's been revealed to us because Jesus said it. That's special revelation. Similarly, at the graveside of Lazarus, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So Paul has already established special revelation, which is the Bible, which is the words of Jesus and the prophets. But when Paul starts talking about seeds and kernels and wheat and grain, he's talking about another form of revelation, which is general revelation, which is the fact that if we just pay attention to the world around us, there are things that we would learn about God. 
So Paul's really going to work in in three sections here in describing what our resurrection bodies will be like and answering those questions. And he starts with general revelation. And this first part is divided into three categories. The first one had to do with plants, that's agriculture. And then he's going to talk about animals. And then he's going to talk about astronomy. So under general revelation, Paul says, hey, look around. Look around at, at farms and look around at the food that you eat. Look at agriculture. Culture. Then he's going to say, look at animals. And then he's going to say, look up at astronomy. So in verse 36 and 37, he talks about this kernel or this seed. And uh, just last weekend, uh, Lindsay and our, our boys, we all got together in our little raised garden in our backyard and we started planting seeds. And notice what Paul says, that anything that you sow, it dies, we had, we, had a whole bunch of, we had a whole bunch of small little funerals for carrot seed, right? We dug a little hole and we put it in the ground and we didn't say any words or sing a song or anything like that, but then we, there, were, there was an internment for the seeds. There was a burial ceremony for the, the seed died. But we know that death really isn't a death, right? That when the seed gets buried, it seems like a death, but it's actually just a doorway to something new, And Paul goes on to say, what you sow is not the body, I'm in verse 37, but a bare kernel. It's it's just the start. When a Christian's life ends, when they are buried, when there's an internment, when there's a funeral, that body that that is put in the ground, that's just the kernel, it's just the seed, it's just getting started. There's something better and bigger coming. You see, In agriculture, there's different stages, right? You take a seed that grows into a plant or or an acorn that grows into into an oak tree. And there's different stages where it's just a seed and then it's a seed in the ground and then it starts to sprout roots and then sprouts come up and then there's little leaves and then there's branches and and then eventually it grows. There's a whole sequence, isn't there? And just like, just like in our child dedication, little, little baby Isabel, like she's like two or three months old, she's so adorable that, at that stage. And there was, a, there was a season where she was living in Livia's womb. And that was a different stage. There were multiple stages of, of Isabel's life in her mother's womb. And there's stages for her as an infant. Then there will be stages of a, a toddler when she's cruising from, from one piece of furniture to the next. And then walking. And there's different stages. And then she'll become a teenager and a, and a young adult. And then middle age. And then, and then a senior. There's different stages. And her body, it's, it's always her. It will always be Livia. But her body will always look different. There was a stage where I was in my mother's room. My mother's right here right now. Good morning. I didn't know you were coming. Glad to have you here. And there, there was a stage where I, where I was a toddler, where I was young and I was cute and my skin was soft. And then there was a stage when I was a teenager and I had massive acne across my forehead and peach fuzz across my, my lip. There was a stage where I had a full head of hair. I went through all of these, and now I'm at a stage where my skin is rough, and I got calcium deposits developing under my my skin, and I'm falling apart. That's the stage I'm in now, and there will be a stage where I'm laid into the ground, unless Christ returns. But then there will be a, a stage where I'm in the resurrection stage. Where I'll, I'll, I'll look and feel very, very different. Right now, I'm just the seed, I'm in the seed stage. But there's so much more 
to come. That's what Paul's getting at with the agricultural analogy. Then he talks about animals. Look at verse 39. He says, for not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. Why is it that animals have different flesh than, than we do? Why is it that birds don't have the same flesh as, as fish? Why does one have scales and the other have feathers? Why is the bone structure and the flesh or fur or skin different for animals? Well, humans live in, normally in some sort of structure. They build some sort of a wall. Whether the wall is made out of ice and snow, whether it's, it's made out of branches or brick or drywall and sheetrock, humans live in structures. Why? Because our skin doesn't allow us to live outside. Humans need shelter. And our flesh reflects that. Animals, some animals sleep outside all the time. Other animals dig holes in the ground. Other, other animals find different ways of, but they, they can live outside. So their flesh, their fur is different, right? Birds, they, they live in the air pretty much. And so their bones and their flesh, it's all very lightweight. They have these talons that can grab onto, uh, onto uh, branches so they can live where? In trees. And then fish, they got gills and scales. Why? Because they live underwater so the flesh is different because the habitat is different. Do you follow? And so Paul says, right now, our flesh, the flesh we're in right now in the seed stage, is this kind of flesh because we live in this kind of world. But we're going to live in a different kind of a world, and so we'll have a different kind of a flesh. The flesh we have now won't be the same kind of flesh. It will be physical, but it won't be the same. We're going to move into a different stage. So there's agriculture, then there's animals, and then there's, then there's astronomy. Paul, Paul says, look up, verse 40. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another kind. There are bodies of water on earth, and then there's the heavenly bodies of sun, moon, and stars uh, in the sky. There's bodies here on earth, and there's bodies up above. Verse 41, there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. When is the time where we see the glory of the sun? It's daytime, right? In summer, we get these, this long season of a lot of, isn't it so nice to wake up at like 6.30 in the morning, the sun's already up? So much different, right, than a Canadian winter in the middle of February? You're just like, where is this? I remember it. Where is it? There's a, the day is the time for the sun's glory. And then the moon's glory is the night. We're like, we know this, right? I'm not actually teaching you things right now. And the stars, uh, their, their glory is at night. We, we don't see the glory of the stars when the sun is blocking all of that glory. The sun shines so brightly, we can't see the glory of the stars. You see, there's a time for each, right? There's a time. Nighttime is when the stars and the moon are seen. And then there's a time where the sun is seen. And then not just on a 24-hour period, but on a 12-month year. There's cycles where certain stars align or certain stars seem bigger or the moon appears on this side, of the, this side of the sky versus that. There's different moments of glory, isn't there? And then you stretch that out over hundreds of years and you have different manifestations in the sky, variations of glory between sun, moon, and stars according to the time. So again, now is the time where we live here on earth. 
And Jesus called this, this is night. This is the night time. The night has come. And what comes after night? Dawn. So now we're, we're, we're at a time, but there is another time that is coming. Do you see what, do you see what Paul's doing here? He, he uses agriculture to talk about the different stages of development. And then he uses, then he uses animals to talk about the different, the different settings in which we will live. This, it's a, the new heavens and the new earth will be a different setting that we'll live in. And then he uses astronomy to talk about seasons and days and months and years where the different glories appear at different times. You see, the, the church at Corinth or the people that weren't believing the resurrection, they, they looked at what happens to human bodies when they die and they thought, I don't want to be resurrected like that. Like they were picturing some sort of bizarre, uh, you know, zombie apocalypse or something. They knew that this flesh that we live in decomposes. And so they're like, I don't want to see that resurrected. And that's true. But Paul, he uses these three illustrations to say, listen, they're going to be resurrected, but they're not going to be resurrected like that. It's going to be a different era in time. It's going to be a totally different environment, and we're going to enter a whole different stage of what it means to be human. And Paul points to all of these, all, notice that all of these examples come from creation. So underlying all of this, he's essentially saying, okay, so the God who made all of this, who made you and me and made the neck of the giraffe and made the great blue whale and made every, don't, and the God who made the sun and the stars and the moon, don't you think that the God who made all of that, that if you have questions about the resurrection, that he'd probably, you know, be able to figure it out? Like you're being foolish. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You're trying to think about the resurrection just in terms of what humans can observe. And Paul says, there's a whole other way of approaching this. God is great. And he'll figure it out. We, may not, we might have questions about the resurrection. What does happen? You know, when someone gets buried, they start to decompose and, you know, worms get involved. And how is that all going to, what if someone chooses to be cremated or buried at sea? Or, or what, if there's, what if there's some sort of horrific accident? What will the rest, listen. I don't know the answers to all the questions. All I know is like the God who got all of this started, he's going to figure out a way to, to resurrect it all. He's going to do it in a glorious and powerful and beautiful way. So he starts by talking about general revelation. And then he comes back to the agricultural metaphor to highlight the total transformation that is coming for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 42, it says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So here we see Paul, he's... He, he explains it four different ways. Did you hear it? He talks about being sown and being raised. Let me just outline it for you here on this chart. So it, we are sown in a body that is perishable, in a body that lacks honor because of the, uh, because of the there, there's still dignity with every human being made in the image of God, but that image has been distorted because of sin. There is weakness. This is why we have pallbearers, because... Uh, uh, a corpse cannot get itself into the grave. 
It's completely weak. It's lifeless. It's powerless. And yet in the resurrection, that lifeless body will become powerful. And it is a a natural body that will be transformed into a spiritual body. It will still be a body. It will still be physical. You will stand with your feet on real ground here on on the new planet earth. And you will use your mouth to sing, worthy is the Lamb. You will do those things in a physical new world, in a physical new body, but it's a new environment and it's a new season. And so the flesh that you had then will be, now will be transformed into a new kind of flesh. There will be a total transformation in this, into a new spiritual body. It will be the same you in a body that's new. It will be the same you in a body that's new. There's a total transformation. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was totally transformed. You know, there were, the disciples were in a room and the door was locked and then all of a sudden, who appears? Jesus, just out of nowhere. He's just there. And then when he gives them the great commission, it says, go and make disciples. What does he do? He just floats up into heaven. That's like normal bodies don't do that. Normal bodies can't breathe up where he was going. But he didn't have a normal body. He had a body that had been totally transformed. You see, other people had been raised from the dead before, right? Like Elijah and Elisha both raised little boys during their ministry. Jesus also raised a little boy and a little girl. Jesus raised Lazarus. But here's the difference. Those little boys in the Old Testament, they, 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 they were raised from the dead. They were dead. One of them sneezed seven times and then rose again. And that little boy, for sure, grew up, you know, got married, had kids, became a grandpa. But then eventually, they all died. Lazarus died. The people that Jesus rose from the dead, they all died because they didn't get a new body. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't die again. He ascended into Heaven, he had a new body, a spiritual body. There is a total transformation that takes place. And this is what it's gonna be like. We're gonna be imperishable. We're gonna have glory and power. And we're gonna exist in this new form of being as a spiritual body. So he highlights the total transformation. And then lastly, Paul presses the issue of personal salvation of personal salvation. Look with me at verse uh, uh, 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. He says in verse 45, he says, it is written. Remember, he started with general revelation and now he's getting to special revelation. General revelation is useful. It can prove the existence of God. It can prove the reality of good and evil in our world. You don't need our Bibles to know that that this world has been created, that there's design. You don't need a Bible to know that something is good or that there's something that's evil. It's, It's available in general revelation, but general revelation can only take you so far. You need special revelation to explain where did all of this come from and where is all of this heading and how can I make sure that I'm living in the right way? 
So now Paul starts with general revelation, like he does in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. It's almost exclusively general revelation, but then you get to Romans chapter 2 and chapter 3. It's all quoting from the Old Testament. It's special revelation. Now Paul is using special revelation. He says, it is written... He says, the the first man, Adam, became a living being. This is going back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. When God formed out of the ground, out of the dust, he formed Adam, the man of dust. And then it says that he breathed into his nostrils. And it says that Adam became, in that moment, a living being, a breathing human being. God breathed life into Adam. So he's referring back to creation. It's interesting, too, that even when he's talking about uh, general revelation, when he's talking about the plants and the animals and the birds and the fish, he talks about them in reverse order in how the days of creation unfold. So even when he's talking about general revelation, he's, he's really thinking through the lens of, of the book of Genesis, So Adam had God breathe in him. So Adam received, and because he received the breath of God, he became a living being. But then he's contrasted with Jesus. Jesus, the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. So Adam received the breath of God and he became a living being. Jesus can give the breath of God, can give the spirit of God, and can give the gift of life. Adam received the gift of life. Jesus gives the gift of eternal life. So you have Adam who's pictured as the first Adam. And look at the the label that's given to Jesus. He's called the last Adam. Adam started off the the first creation. He was the first human created. Jesus starts off the new creation. And he makes available not just air for us to breathe, but the spirit. Not just life here on earth, but he invites us to life in all of eternity. Now this whole idea of comparing Adam to Jesus is all over Paul's Writing, He already mentioned it earlier in this chapter in uh, verses 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. And so you put these verses together with the other verses in chapter 15, and we we see this contrast between Adam and Christ, the first Adam and the last Adam. Adam brings death, Christ brings resurrection. In Adam, all die in him. In Christ, all are made alive in him. In Adam, he he became a living being, but in Christ, he didn't receive life, he gives life. He became a life-giving spirit. And Adam is from the earth, but Christ is from heaven. And then also in in Romans chapter 5, in a very long passage, Paul compares Jesus to Christ. Here's, Here's just the conclusion of his argument. He says, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many were made righteous. And so let's add Romans 5 to the chart here. So now Adam in Romans 5.18 brought condemnation to all of humanity. 
But Christ brings justification, which is a declaration of innocence, not our own innocence that we earned, but an innocence that was earned by Christ. And then Romans 5, 19, in Adam, all of us are sinners, and in Christ, all of us are righteous. So now look with me at what Paul says next. Verse verse 48 says, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. So who who is of the man of dust and who is of the man of heaven? In Adam, it says that all die in him. Every single human being on planet earth, according to the Bible, descended from Adam and Eve. And that we all inherited this sinful bent, turning away from God. Theologians call it original sin. And so because all of us descend from Adam and Eve, all of us are sinners. And all of us, the Bible tells us, the wages of sin is death. All of us are from earth. <laughs> all of us are sinners. All of us will die. We're all, we all belong to the man of dust. Not by choice, but just by inheritance. It's like your family. You didn't choose your family, you just got born into it. All of us got born into Adam. But for those who are in Christ, what does it mean that all are made alive in him? Does that mean that every single human being is going to receive this glorious resurrection body? No, no, no. To be in Adam is very different from being in Christ. To be in Adam, all you have to do is be a human being. Everyone is in Adam. But to be in Christ, that requires a decision on your part. So how do you make the decision to become associated with the man of heaven? Well, it starts by acknowledging that you're from the dust. It starts by acknowledging that you're a sinner, just like Adam and Eve were. What was the essence of of the sin that Adam and Eve committed? God had given them this beautiful garden. They could eat from any fruit that they wanted to except one, and they chose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They broke the law, and they wanted to make their own rules. That's the essence of sin. That's what every human being on planet Earth has done. We break God's law, and we want to make our own new laws. And we can't even live up, let alone living up to God's standard. We all fail living up to God's standard. We can't even live up to our own standards. We say, no one should ever do this. And then we go and do that. I can't believe that she said that. And we go and say the very same thing. We can't even live up to our own standard. The things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we think, God hears and sees all of this. So in order to become associated with the man from heaven, you first have to admit that you're a man or a woman of Adam, of the dust, that you're a sinner who deserves to die. And then you gotta believe that this one who came from heaven, Jesus, the son of God, that he came and he actually became like a man of dust. He took on flesh. He didn't descend from Adam though. He was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. So the line of of the the sinful ancestry is broken when it comes to Jesus. That's why the virgin birth is so important. But he became a man of dust. But unlike Adam and unlike you and I, he, he never said anything that broke the law. He never did anything that broke the law. He never thought a corrupt 
or evil or wicked thought. He lived an absolutely perfect life. And then he said, no one can get to heaven in John 3. No one can ascend to heaven except him who descended. Talking about himself, Jesus is the man from heaven. And not only did Jesus live this perfect life, but that, and that Jesus is the only one who is entitled to go to heaven. That Jesus has made a way for us to go to heaven. Because when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, he took the blame for every word we ever said, every deed we ever did, every thought we ever thought that was sinful and wrong. And he, he died as our substitute. He stood in our place. And if you admit that you're a sinner, that you're a person of the dust, and if you believe that Jesus became dust like us, and if you believe that Jesus went to the cross and suffered and died as our substitute, and repent of your sin, of your way of living in the dust, and want to live by the power of his spirit because he's a life-giving spirit who, who li lives in us and transforms us from the inside out, then you will become one of the people who are described in verse 48 as those who are of heaven. Now, when you understand that the man of heaven came down and became dust and that he went to the cross and suffered and died and that he rose again and was given a new resurrection body and has promised a new resurrection body for us to live in the new heavens and the new earth, when you believe that, that changes everything. When we think about our bodies... We don't, we're of heaven now. We're not of dust. The world thinks about our bodies in terms of dust. In terms of just what you can see, that which is right in front of us. That's not how we think about our bodies. So the Christian thinks differently. The world thinks this way about sexuality. But we think this way about sexuality. The world thinks this way about power and, and how to make things right and how to deal with oppression. The Christian thinks this way about power and oppression and justice and how to make things right. They think about it from the perspective of heaven. The world thinks this way about suffering. But the Christian who has an understanding that their body in which they are presently suffering will one day be resurrected and will be imperishable and will have glory and will have power totally transforms the way that we think about suffering in this world. Paul said it, it rightly in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're of heaven. We're not of the dust. Have you ever been in another country where there was like a, you know, a big sporting event happening and everyone in the country's rooting, you know, it's a soccer game or something like that and everyone's rooting and passionate and you're just kind of like, well, I don't really care because I'm not from here. Or there's a big election or a big political scandal while you're living there and it's all over the newspapers and everyone's talking and, and you're just sort of like, well, yeah, I mean, it, but I'm not from here. 
I mean, it might make you feel uncomfortable at certain times or even unsafe at certain times because you're, you're concerned about what's happening in the country where you're temporarily dwelling, but you're like, no, my citizenship is in heaven or in Canada, so I'll just head over to the embassy. We'll get things sorted out, right? That, that's how we're supposed to live. We're not from here. The things that everyone else is getting all agitated about, we can be concerned about. We shouldn't ignore them, but we understand that our citizenship is in heaven because look at this, look at what it says. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's the resurrection body. We're going to have a new body like his in a new creation. So loved ones, we, we look at everything differently because of the gospel and the gospel includes this radical transformation of our physical body into something that is new and glorious. And it's not merely just something that we, we anticipate in the future. It has implications for right here, right now. Listen to how the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle John describes it in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. And I close here. Paul says, beloveds, we are God's children now. Not only are we citizens, but we've been adopted into the family through Christ. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Our glorious body, our resurrected body is not here. Again, come to Cassie Campbell Arena tonight and I'll give you evidence of that. We are not living in our, in our glorious resurrection bodies yet. It has not yet appeared. But look at this. But we know that when he appears, look at this, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So that's our hope. And let's, 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 don't miss this. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The doctrine of the resurrection and resurrection bodies and the fact that we will become like him is not just something that, you know, okay, duly noted, I'll just file that under irrelevant in my theological file folder. That's not what the Apostle John says here. Everyone who hopes in him, everyone who has a hope for the return of Christ, everyone who filters sexuality and suffering and everything that we experience here in the dust, everyone who filters all of those things through the citizenship that we have in heaven, everyone who looks forward to the second coming of Christ, as we do that, look at what it says, we purify ourselves as he is pure. It's not just that we live in the dust and can't wait until someday we're of heaven. No, but as we live in the dust and we struggle with sin and we struggle with suffering and we struggle with the things that we see in the news, that, but as we live in that struggle, if we hope in him and hope in the fact that one day we will be like him and we will be in a glorious body and there will be no death or pain and there won't be any sin in us, when we hope in that, we will actually be transformed in the process that the hoping purifies us. And so we will be like him, but we become like him when we have that hope, when we focus on the resurrection body. As it says in verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Again, this is creation language. 
Adam and Eve bore the image of God as male and female, and we will bear the image of the man of heaven, the second and the last Adam, and we will be conformed into that image as we focus on the hope that we have in him. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have not merely chosen to save souls and to send them up to heaven, but that you have this glorious plan to redeem and recreate this very planet and to redeem and resurrect the very bodies that are gathered physically in this physical space right now. God, we thank you for the beauty and the dignity that is inherent in every physical image bearer, every man and woman of the dust. And God, we thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in heaven. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.